And I think while that concept of moving this kind of back-end function to almost become employee-facing is a bit scary to some people working in payroll, I think it's actually quite exciting because it means that anyone working in pay, reward, and benefits has become more significant. Their role has become more important to the employee experience than ever and more important to the organization. Welcome to the Payroll Podcast with your host, Nick Day. Find out what it takes to truly discover what it takes to elevate your career within payroll as we meet with the industry leaders who are shaping the industry for tomorrow. Hello and welcome back to the Payroll Podcast. My name is Nick Day, CEO of JGA Recruitment Group, and we are specialist payroll recruiters. And today I'm really excited because I'm joined by Gethin Nadin, who is Chief Innovation Officer at Zealous Group. Now, Gethin is someone I've had on my shows before, but on my other show, the HR L&D Podcast, and I couldn't wait to invite him back when I recently downloaded some research published by Zealous that talks about pay slip understanding. We're going to get into that in much more detail. Before I do, let me just give you a brief introduction to Gethin for those who perhaps are not as familiar as I am. He's a frequent writer and speaker. He's published a number of HR best-selling books on the world of well-being. He's written one book called A World of Good Lessons from Around the World in Improving the Employee Experience, and his latest book, A Work in Progress, Unlocking Well-Being to Create More Sustainable and Resilient Organizations, only just been released fantastic book, and I will put a link to that in the show notes later on. Now, the reason I asked Gethin to join me today on the Payroll Podcast was the research I recently uh, downloaded was by Zealous. It was titled An Employer's Guide to Protecting Financial Wellbeing for the Workforce. You may be wondering what that's got to do with payroll. Well, in this report, it stated that more than one in four employees struggle to understand payslips. Now, with the strategic role of payroll more pronounced than it's ever been before due to organisations understanding the close link between employee engagement, financial wellness, and the payroll process, I simply had to ask Gethin back to find out more. So incidentally, there will be a link to that research paper in the show notes. So do go download it and uh, enjoy it for yourself. But without further ado, welcome Gethin that into the, the payroll podcast. How are you feeling today? Excellent. Thanks for having me on this podcast. Uh, good to see you again. Me yeah, too. pretty good. Thank you. Not too bad. Fantastic. Well, I'm going to start with one question, not about financial wellness, not about pay slips, but about payroll. Uh, I ask all my guests, which is this, what do the words payroll mean to you? Oh, good question. Uh, I mean, I, my instinctive reaction is it, it's the reason why most of us work. I think even for those people like myself who love the job, you know, I, I, I come to the, I come and work because I need the money. I've got to put food in my belly and roof over my head. So it's a fundamental reason why people work, I guess my answer would be. For sure. And of course, you have a a great insight to the world of payroll, being Chief Innovation Officer at a huge sort of payroll UK business in Zealous Group. So we'll find out more about that as we go through. But let's talk about the research then briefly. Just uh, you heard it in my introduction there. The research recently published by Zealous highlighted that one in four employees, I think it was 28%, struggle to understand payslips due to too many acronyms and technical terms. Whereas 27% of employees report they don't have the knowledge or confidence to know uh, if the information on their payslip is even correct. Tell me a little bit more about your findings first. And I want to jump into where perhaps the, the role of payroll plays in all this. Yeah, so I guess for us at, at Zealous, it started when we started looking at, you know, what is pay and what does it mean to people? Kind of, if I think about pay in my own life, it was cash shoved in a brown envelope when I first started working kind of part-time and as a teenager. That became these kind of tearaway slips that were next to your clocking in card in a, in a shop I used to work in. That went through, you know, we're now at these kind of very fancy high-end login uh, apps and sites you log into with all these graphs and stuff that tell you everything you need to know about pay. And so I think when we really started to peel back financial well-being, and I've been doing research and reading and speaking about financial well-being with some of the world's biggest banks, actually, for, for the last 10 years, we were peeling back, you know, what is the, the kind of step to good financial well-being? And we started to realize that actually we're most people's income, the vast majority of people's income comes through the job that they do. So pay and payroll was very much the first step on that financial well-being ladder. It's where people got all of their income. It's where they started to understand some financial products like pensions, which were obviously in the UK mandated in the workplace. It's where people started to get most of their understanding of how things like compound interest work was through pensions. And so all of a sudden, people are getting paid here. They're starting to understand financial products. And so we were like, actually, this is probably the start of the financial well-being journey. And no one ever really was speaking about pay and payroll in those terms. And so we started to commission some research to try and find out, you know, is that right? And, and do people understand that very first step? And 
And as you pointed out, you know, we're at the second point of this research. Uh, this is part two we're talking about now. But we're at this point where actually what we found out was people didn't understand their pay. They didn't understand their pay slips. They didn't know how to use them. They didn't check them regularly. And so we were like, okay, so if so many people at the moment are living for payday and payday is this big day of the month where probably some of the worries go away for at least a day, and it's where people are understanding pay and understanding some of those financial products and getting to grips with tax and deductions and percentages, that's a bit worrying. That's a bit worrying that we're in a cost of living crisis that's been going on for a year that will continue for at least another year. The recession might be a little bit longer than that. And actually, in, in pay, people weren't understanding the things that we needed them to. And so the further research was looking at, so what's the impact of that? And, and no surprise, the impact of that was those with low numeracy were struggling even more. Uh, yeah. People who weren't engaging in pay slips, weren't and um, didn't understand their pay, were more likely to develop poor mental health, and that was causing them stress. And so with well-being being on the lips of every employer at the moment and something they want to solve, we started to realize actually, well, pay and payroll has a fundamental part to play in well-being. And nobody up until this point has been talking in those terms. Yeah, no, for sure. You've, you've, you've articulated that really, really well. So I guess with those statistics in mind, then, where does, in your opinion, where does the responsibility lie? And bringing it into a payroll context, is there anything that payroll departments can do specifically to, to help in response to these insights? What's quite interesting is if you look at you know, money and trust go hand in hand, as do trust underpins well-being in most organisations as well. But if you think about who we used to trust with our money, we no longer trust those people. So all the statistics will tell you that globally, when you look at the most trusted institution in the lives of people in about 50 countries, most people put at the bottom of that financial services. And it's been the same for quite a few years. If you look at the Edelman Trust Barometer, financial services has been the least trusted of the major 15 industries around the world for about five years running. I think it was beaten only last year by social media, but it's still second from the bottom. And so the financial crisis and all the stuff that went on with banking and stuff in the UK eroded that trust in financial institutions. And they were the people that we trusted to give us the right information. They were the people we used to trust to be honest with us, to give us financial education, to explain financial products. And, you know, I grew up through pensions at the start of my career. So I was there when, you know, organizations were accused of, you know, pensions, black holes and Robert Maxwell and all that kind of stuff was in the news. And then you started hearing about bankers' bonuses and you know, people started to build this, actually, I don't trust these financial institutions anymore. And so we don't really get that financial education elsewhere. You know, we used to get it from those people, but if we don't trust them anymore, can we trust the advice they're giving us? And so we started to see this bubbling idea that maybe the employer could start to offer some of this stuff because the employer is expecting us to make financial decisions like a pension. Uh, it's probably the, the most obvious example that applies to most people. And so we really started to see that the, the employer had a role to play in this. And then actually getting people to understand their pay and pay slips properly, that's a fundamental part of why everyone comes to work. As an employer, why wouldn't you want somebody to make sure they got all the money they're entitled to, understood and appreciated the money they were giving? Otherwise, that whole relationship at its fundamental level falls apart because that's why people come to work. People come to work for pay. So if they're not understanding pay, if they're not getting the pay they want, it's a change in how we think about pay that some people might be uncomfortable with because it starts to position this back-end function almost more front-end and more employee-facing. But again, we started to find out in our research that you know when people checked their pay slips, it made them nervous and it made them scared and it made them worried. So we were like, so why isn't financial education provided at the point at which somebody's checking pay on payday when they're thinking about money, as opposed to halfway through the month when somebody probably isn't in the mindset to think about that stuff? So reaching people where they were at was really important. So communicating pay at and, and, and delivering financial education at pay payday and through payroll and on pay slips, we found was really, really important. And then we also started to realize that the, the more significant role that really good payroll provider played in giving you all the information that you could make sure you were getting paid accurately on time so that deductions were correct, your tax code was correct. If you get commissions or you had you know, different shift patterns, you were making sure you got paid for the work that you did. And again, we were finding out that people weren't able to identify whether their pay was accurate. They weren't able to even make some pretty simple calculations about these are the shifts I've worked this month that should translate into X amount of money. And does that match with the pay slip that I've got? And if we look back at when all the major banks started to go mobile, what we started to see is, you know, anyone who can remember that far back to check your balance, you'd have to go into a branch, phone yeah. them up, 
or get one of those little slips to a cash machine that would tell you you didn't have enough money to do whatever you wanted to do. When mobile banking came in, overdrafts in this country went right down. So the more, vis- the more visibility people had over their finances, the better able they were to manage those finances. And so we're in the same world now with pay slips. We're actually, you know, moving from that brown envelope with, with a couple of notes in it to where we are now. We have this information that we can give people to get them to be fully informed. We've got people at a better place than they've ever been before to identify those areas and to check. But they weren't checking it. And as you said, you know, those people who were checking it then were telling us they didn't understand it. Uh, and again, we started to understand, you know, at what point does somebody ever get sat down and explained what national insurance is? It doesn't happen in school. It comes through work. So that should happen in the workplace. It's through payroll. So why doesn't that happen at pay? Why aren't we letting people understand what is a national insurance contribution? Why does the government need it? What's it going to pay for? And so our research kind of highlighted all these reasons why actually pay was a really big part of financial well-being and that employers probably needed to do more, especially during a cost of living crisis, to support people to understand their pay to, and, and, and make more forearmed to spot errors and, and, and make sure they were paid accurately. Something I think is um, particularly interested in your take on this is uh, on the innovation side of things here, Gethin. Something that comes to mind when you gave me that response is, you know, we, we could work, we're moving into a world of automation and software changing the, the landscape that we live in. And there's a lot of nervousness that has been for a couple of years or longer, really, within the payroll market space in particular, about automation taking over the, the need to be knowledgeable in the world of payroll. I, I, it could be argued then, based on the response you've just given there, that actually you've given a great case as to absolutely why payroll knowledge is more critical than ever because of that close link it now has with employee experience, employee engagement, financial wellness. Because if the payroll professional at the end of that phone or whoever it is that business can't sit down and and tell you what these deductions are, then we've got a communication problem. I know the statistics itself in the report, it said 13% of employees said they had, they're had they anxious about their finances and re- even you know really uncomfortable about even looking at their paces, which you talked about. But it sounds to me like payroll departments then, if they have that knowledge, they can do an awful lot to help alleviate some of that anxiety. And that really plays into that strategic element of payroll, which is supporting yeah. employee engagement. Yeah, and I think that's a really good example. I mean, you look at all automation and how AI is going to change anything. It's going to remove process and admin, right? And technology is far less likely to make mistakes than a human does. You know, that's pretty well documented. But there's a very human side to this that you've just pointed out that people still need to get grips with and, you know, getting to understand change in legislation, how that translates to you and your workforce. You know, it needs a human to take that information and translate that into an instruction for a machine. So I don't think we're um, removing humans from the process. We're just actually making better use of the humanity, the human side of uh, this and, and and everything we're talking about when everything well-being and factual well-being a, a lot of empathy is required with this you know if people at the moment are getting underpaid um and we've seen some very high profile mistakes hit the news where people have been underpaid or uh, organizations have missed things like nan- national minimum wage checks and they've been underpaying people or pay has been inaccurate or late it's really emotive right if you get to payday and at the moment the you know the data telling us that I think Lloyd's found out a couple of months ago that people, have, most people in this country, about 86% of people in the UK have got less than £500 in savings. That's their buffer. So when you pay somebody two or three days late or you pay them £1,000 or £500 less than they're expecting, they've got a very small window to be able to correct that. And that's going to cause a lot of stress for anyone that's been in that situation. Can you imagine, you know, with all the direct debits, time to go out on the first of the month, whatever it might be, if your pay arrives on the second, you probably get texts from the bank. You probably go into overdraft. It might need you for a day or two, but that's really stressful. That's going to knock somebody off their game for a day or two. Um, and also the data then starts to tell you is, what does that mean for, for the culture? Because what does that tell an employee, how much you care about them, that you're paying them late or inaccurately at a time when their finances are being squeezed more than ever? So you're not just not helping them, but you're actually making the situation worse by making some of these errors. And so, again, I think that requires a lot of human intervention. That that requires you to kind of put your arms around people, to calm them, to give them a phone call to say that we've made this error, but we put it right. And it's going to money's going to hit your account tomorrow morning. And I'm so sorry. It requires all of that stuff that a machine can't do. Yeah, I love that. And we, you know, the studies are showing us as well that the empathetic leaders are the ones that are the leaders of tomorrow, right? So that's where empathy Absolutely. really comes in. I didn't mention it in the introduction, but for those that aren't familiar with Gethin, he also has a, a background in psychology. But what's something that, that came to mind there is 
when something like that happens and threatens our survival, we know neurologically we go into fight or flight mode. And that's when you, the payroll departments are going to have those vehement responses, sometimes out of sync with usual character, because the, you know, their whole survival could be threatened, because particularly yeah. if they're that close to, to the breadlines you mentioned. I think you made a really, really good point. You, you mentioned something just before I asked that question as well about the educational piece. Uh, and this is probably maybe slightly outside of the realm of payroll, but I'm interested to know your response. Is do you think that the Prime Minister's recent announcement about masks being mandatory until the age of 18 will help people get a better grip on their pay and finances? And is it how much of this is around financial numeracy uh, or how much of this is around pay slip understanding? Yeah, I think it's a really good point. There is there's clearly a literacy and a numeracy issue in this country. You know, most people do not have the skills required to make some pretty basic calculations or to understand. You know, some mildly complex financial products. And so um, I, I don't think keeping people in school longer or, or mandating maths for longer is going to solve those problems at all. I can understand for him in particular, as someone that's grown up with kind of a love of maths, he probably wants to get that maths onto everyone else. But, you know, for anyone that didn't enjoy maths in school, it sounds like <laughs> a terrible idea. And elongating the part of school that people probably hated most. Hate most but, that's me. <laughs> you know, yes, yeah, the same. And, um, but when you look at what people are struggling to do, they're actually struggling to do some pretty basic math. So people are struggling with things like percentages and long division, stuff like that. It's the stuff we kind of do every day. So staying in, in school longer is not, I don't think, going to solve that problem because actually it's the stuff we learn when we're probably 10 to 12 years old that where people are still struggling to understand. And I think a lot of math and the same with money is if we look at the research about how people behave when they're making complex decisions, there are parts of the brain that light up when people are making financial decisions that don't light up when we're making ever complex decisions. People are very scared of money. People are, tend to have a negative relationship with money. We are ashamed of not having enough money. We're embarrassed when we can't afford to pay for things. Um, people don't see money as working for them. They see money as kind of pushing them. So people don't have control over their money and they don't have confidence when dealing it. And I think this is exactly the same with maths. And there's lots of societal reasons why that is, um, because we kind of, we, we link success with money and how much money you've got means you're more successful. Yeah. What's interesting here is how do we get people to change that relationship with money? So how do we get people to think more positively about money? And some of the education piece is getting people to get to grips with money working for them and not to be afraid of numbers and to get a better grip with numbers, which we haven't been doing um, and haven't done at school level for a long time. But if you think of what I said earlier on about the Edelman Trust Barometer, trust being in financial institutions being the lowest, the highest on that scale for 72% of people globally is the employer. So people, 72% of people around the world trust their employer more than they trust the government, media, social media, big business, healthcare systems. And so we're really leaning in on that trust to basically say, no, you trust me and I'm going to give you a bit of advice or education. And we think people are going to be more receptive to that than they would in any other part of society because people now trust their employer. And I think employers can start to get people, even those who struggle with numeracy, just to kind of face up to some of these problems or people who are afraid of money or have always had a bad relationship with money, to start to make a few small decisions that will hopefully start to change that relationship and change that attitude. You correct me, I might be completely out, out getting this completely wrong, but is there a danger a little bit? We talk, we've heard the word advice mentioned a few times here and we know that the world, in the world of payroll, they can certainly give more information, but when it comes to financial advice, tax advice, it's, it's often regulated, right? So where, where's the... Where's the boundary here? What, what should we be expecting from our, our our payroll manager? You know, we want to understand our payslips more. They've got the knowledge to, you know, to talk you through what a payslip is. But that question about advice sometimes becomes a more challenging one. Yeah, I, I'd probably use that a bit too uh, interchangeably there. But to be clear, we are looking at uh, advice, uh, not financial advice, but we're looking at education. So this is a, we are giving people information. We are explaining things. We are not giving them a decision to make. We're not sure. forcing them to choose a decision. So um, some of the ways you've done this at Zellis, for example, we've just allowed really simple things. So when you hover over your NIC deduction, we don't just say NIC means national insurance contributions. We explain to you, well, what is that? And why does it, and why does the government need that? Where's that money going? Nice. Because we don't tell people that. When people are growing up, they don't see this kind of stuff. They might see national insurance and say that's a tax and it's a government tax. But why don't we explain to them what the health and social care levy is going to be doing and how that's going to benefit maybe them in the future? And from an employer's point of view, importantly, why aren't we explaining that, you know, this is a government decision, this is not the employer. And I've worked with lots of employers over the last 12 months where when the health and social care levy came in and then some of it disappeared, when we saw those changes, employees were phoning up payroll saying, why have you made this deduction? 
And it's like, well, we haven't made it. The government's made it. And you yeah. haven't read that or seen that stuff in the news. And so I think we needed to explain some of those things a little bit better. We assume people have a level of understanding in this country when it comes to things like their finances and numeracy, that they don't. And the data we've done through these of research proves that, you know, people with low numeracy skills are more likely to feel stressed by their pay, uh, more likely to not check it, uh, are far more likely to not understand it. So that numeracy is driving this kind of almost probably scaredness or nervousness to really engage in, in pay slips. And so we we kind of want people to get a better relationship with with money. And we think by doing that through pay, just getting people to understand small things. And I give some really good examples of how we've seen this wider for consumer bases, things like credit scores. So credit scores, we all know them because of changes in the market and new providers that have entered. It's now free. You can get your yeah. credit score checked easily. You can download an app and within about you know two minutes, you'll see your credit score and it will be fairly accurate based on you know real life data that the system gets. When I grew up, we never used to have that. You have to pay 15, 20 pounds a month to get access to your credit or pay a kind of 10 pound fee to see your credit report. So those cost barriers have been removed. And so more people should now be checking their credit score and checking it re uh, regularly because we've removed those cost and time barriers to be able to do that. Yet the data tell us the still majority of people don't check their credit score within a six or 12 month period. And so much of the decisions we make financially rely on credit scores. So our mortgages, our loans, and not just whether we get the loan or not, but how much interest in some cases you will pay on those loans. So actually, it's a really simple thing for somebody to do and get familiar with. That's going to benefit them in the future and, and, and get them better deals and get them better loans. But people still don't do some of that stuff. But when you start to look at the data coming out of America, where people are encouraged at school age to check credit scores or at college and university, 20 years later, the finances of that date increase. So people's financial well-being gets better 20 years after they got to grips with credit rating. And so we start to see there's all this evidence for actually for these very small behaviors we can encourage somebody to do start to mount up. And so we think through Payslip, we're not trying to replace the financial advisor. We're not trying to replace even the money advice service or money help in the UK, these big government-sponsored bodies. We're just trying to give people small bits of information that the data tells us if we give them those small bits of learning over a long period of time, they'll retain more information. So just getting somebody familiar with how does emergency tax go work? What is national insurance? Yeah. Why is this deduction being made? And at that point where somebody might be looking at their pay slip online and getting that anxious feeling, thinking, I didn't get paid as much as I expected because maybe my overtime is coming next month or whatever. How do I deal with that? Well, actually, that's the point of crisis. That's where we should be offering help. That's where we should give people the opportunity to go to click a button and speak to a debt counselor or advisor if they need to, rather than just leaving it up to them all the time to find these things. So it's reaching them at the point that they're going to be most interested, that they're looking, and they probably need more help. Brilliant, brilliantly put. I think also um, you gave a great example. Then I see examples, brilliant. Hover over, gives. I didn't, you know, that's that's a really um, great example of where you can gain more knowledge. But bringing it back to the research. Some of the research came back to say that actually some of the employees that have some of these uh, online platforms and pay slips, I think it was 19%, so what's that, nearly one in five, actually said they had difficulties even logging into that platform or even yeah. being able to get into the portal. And that's obviously a problem. It's great having all the bells and whistles, but if you can't access it, if you've got accessibility problems for other reasons, that's going to create a challenge. So what are the software providers doing at the moment in terms of platform design, perhaps, to make the payroll employee experience more inclusive, uh, particularly for those that are neurodivergent that may struggle for accessibility reasons or for other, and uh, and more effective and more user friendly. So it's little things like um, you know humans are very visual, so using things like graphs as much as possible, using kind of green and red indicators to uh, indicate whether pay has gone up or pay has gone down. Um, it's really easy to follow graphs, so somebody can see over a period of time if their pay has changed. Really, really interesting for people like me who is who's salaried and I have pretty stagnant pay. From one month to the next, it doesn't go up much. So I don't tend to check my pay slips on a very regular basis because I don't expect my pay to change. But what I've started to notice is some of the little things like the insurance levies and some benefit and kind taxation, those small changes in that you know percentage here and there, I'm seeing those fluctuations. And even for me, that's someone who's quite engaged in their pay, it's quite interesting to see. And so again, just that awareness that you know, what most people tend to do, and I've done this before, is not really look at pay slips and then they might apply for something like a mortgage and go back onto their online platform and get six PDFs of the last six months worth of pay or whatever it might be. And at that point, they're then looking at it going, what's it different from November to December when that shouldn't have been a change? 
And we don't want people to understand that when it's too late. We want people to engage. And if we're just getting them to engage just to check that it's accurate and on time, that's all we should be doing. So I'd much rather people logged into the pace and went, yep, everything's fine on payday and then just moved on. Yeah. But we don't do that. You get a notification to say your new pay slips available online and most people don't click that link. And so there's awareness building, which is more a case of, can you check to make sure the calculations we've done are correct? So it actually is a, we're almost together as a collaborative, uh, you know, the employee and the employer working together, say, is this correct? And you should check it because this is your pay, rather than just assuming that the employer does things correct all the time. And I saw this with a friend recently, which is, I think is a really good example, is they started a new job. And obviously, everyone knows when you start a new job, payroll can be a really difficult experience to go through because, you know, you might have to go a period of time where your payrolls don't match up. So my friend had gone through kind of almost five or six weeks without a payday. And they were struggling with that. So they were already quite anxious about, I, I need pay because this is kind of not, it's not matching the cycle I've been used to. And then the first month got paid more than they expected. And they thought maybe they'd miscalculated how much they were getting paid and what the contract said. Next month, significantly less than what it was before. And it turned out that delays in sending P45 and stuff had put this person on emergency tax code. They were taxed too much initially, but also no deductions were made in the first two months for things like pensions because they weren't put into auto-enrollment. So where they had deductions in the old job for the first couple of months, they didn't get those deductions for whatever reason. And it was all over the place. I sat down with my friend trying desperately to work out, okay, so if you had emergency tax code there, and this is what your contract says, if you net, net tax or taking the gross out and that, doing all these calculations to try and work it out. And then actually had to go back to their payroll department to basically say, this is the code I was on. This is the code I'm on now. I think I should be on this code based on what I've read on the HMRC website. I think there's a difference here. Can you get it? Can you kind of check this for me? Uh, and it turns out in that example, to about to the tune of about 200 quid, it was incorrect. And But that would never have happened if this person wasn't engaged in their paying, seeing the difference from one month to the next. And I think so much of our banking is automated. People have direct debit set up for the first day of the month. We trust these institutions to take the right amount on the right time. And I don't think we should. I think it's not a criticism of payroll to say that every employee should be checking their pay regularly. Providers like Zealous want people to log in on a monthly or more frequent basis to check this stuff. But it's that kind of forewarned is forearmed. The more information we can give to people, the more um, education we can give them about pay slips and how they work and get them to check that regularly, the better off they will be. And, you know, and some of those big examples I mentioned earlier on of big high street employers who are underpaying people for months, the number of those employees that didn't notice they were being underpaid is quite alarming. Sure. They just assumed, oh, I don't understand money, but my employer does. So if, if that's what it is, they must have got it right. And people don't question that. And I think... We're in this world now where the employee's got more influence and control in, in their relationship with their employer than they ever have. And so we should be encouraging people to say, I think this is incorrect. Can you look at it? And obviously for payroll teams that have got stuff that's accurate and they're happy with the work they've been doing, it's very easy to say it is correct and this is why you might have noticed a difference. And that, of course, that, that builds kind of trust. If you get it right, it builds trust for the employers uh, as well. And you, you know, we, we know the yeah, impact yeah. of trust on financial wellness, well-being, everything sort of goes in hand in hand. Exactly that. Have you ever asked yourself, how can I recruit payroll staff effectively? Please don't give up on your recruitment project just yet. Here at JGA Payroll Recruitment, we appreciate the difficulties associated with attracting, recruiting and retaining top payroll talent. We also understand just how costly a poor payroll hire can be. JGA Recruitment are a niche payroll recruitment agency who will partner with you to resource payroll candidates who will improve both the accuracy and efficiency of your payroll department. Contact us today on 01727 800 377 or visit jgarecruitment.com to find out more. I think something worth highlighting, though, there's going to be a lot of people listening to this in the world of payroll who actually they haven't evolved. Uh, be careful with my language here, but they haven't necessarily adopted a interactive payslip process yet. They're still working on the traditional payslip method. Now, we know the payroll is evolving. We are seeing more and more employers starting to provide a more inter interactive payroll solution, for want of a better way of putting it. But for those that haven't made that change yet, maybe due to size, maybe due to lack of understanding, maybe they haven't just didn't even know these things existed because, you know, not everyone will be aware yet. They've been doing the same thing for years. Why change a payroll function if it's already working and no one's sure. saying anything? That you know, If it's working, why try and change it? But what key advantages can be gained from moving from that traditional 
paper-based PDF payslip process to a more interactive experience? First of all, it's, it's more awareness. So that example I gave of mobile banking earlier on, the reasons why people's overdrafts went down is because they were checking their balances more regularly. They didn't have to go to a cash machine, pick up the phone or, or visit a branch. So we removed those barriers to getting people to check. And the more often people check, the more likely they are to spot errors and things like yeah. that. So fundamentally, it allows them to do that. It gets people to understand their pay. And this is obviously something our research really highlighted, that even for those people who check regularly, people don't really understand their pay. And so if they don't understand what gross means, if they don't understand why there's a benefit in kind taxation, if they don't understand what national insurance means, where else are they going to understand this stuff? Where else is somebody going to get that information? Because if you go and Google a definition for national insurance and things like that, you get so many different answers at the moment. So again, we're tapping in on the trust that the employee has with their employer at the moment. And as I mentioned, you know, they trust them more than they do banks and building societies and even new banks and, and online banks. And so actually we're we're maximizing on if, if they trust you, then you know, putting this stuff in front of them, they're gonna that's gonna resonate more than it does if their bank put it in front of them. Um, and so I think part of that, those new platforms are allowing people to understand pay better than they had before. And I will fully admit that until we started working with Zealous and I started getting my pay slips and seeing the pay slips that we do through Zealous, I understood pay more than I did before we started working with Zealous. And that's kind of, it's kind of weird because I've been working in benefits for 20 years. So I've seen deductions and things like that. But again, we see it in the benefits world. And if we talk about this stuff, unless we sit in front of somebody and explain these things, how do they know? Like we, we kind of make this yeah. assumption that people understand. Like if, if I said to anyone listening to this podcast now, you know, what does national insurance mean and what does it pay for specifically what does it pay for most people might know as adults but where did we get that information from can anyone ever remember who told you that or where you gathered that from i suspect it's probably through pay at some point or when you were 16 you got your national insurance card and that became you know when i grew up that was id <laughs> the yeah, you yeah, over 16 sure. for stuff yeah. but no one ever sits down and explains this stuff to you so people are coming straight out of university straight out of school going into a job getting pay slips that have got all these letters and numbers on them. And unless you're aware of HMRC websites and things like that, then where do you go to get this? But I think so many of the answers are really simple. Why don't we just say that at the source or allow people to ask questions? So through sure. those payroll platforms, they can find the answers or they can read an article about income tax and what it is and how does it work. Again, in that kind of in that kind of sphere of the trusted employer, rather than having to go and Google this stuff, which is a a big job in itself to try and find a definition through Google. Sure. So to put, to put all this together, I guess the big question here for the payroll people listening is how can we optimize the traditional payslip impact? You know, the things we've talked about, the things the research have highlighted, the one in four not understanding it or, or getting to grips with it at the moment to really influence and something I know that you're very passionate about, employ financial health. What could we do then taking forward? We want to listen to this. I want to go away and instantly as a payroll professional implement something to improve the employer financial well-being of my employees, what would you be recommending? You kind of mentioned it, that payroll might be going through this kind of rebrand. And I think that's true. And at the, the last Zellis conference, I had a whole session which I spoke about, you know, that these back office non-employee facing functions like payroll are having to change. And I think yeah. we have overwhelming evidence that uh, a payroll employee's job and how well they do that has an impact on well-being and mental health. So paying people accurately and on time is arguably the most basic financial well-being function above paying them fairly, in my view. And so we start to see the importance of this function to the employee experience, and that's become far more magnified than I think it ever has. And so there are real-world decisions that payroll makes, who you choose to run your payroll, the team, the team you employ to, to manage that, the software decisions you've made, how easily pay integrates with other things like benefits. And I think while that concept of moving this kind of back-end function to almost become employee-facing is a bit scary to some people working in payroll, I think it's actually quite exciting because it means that anyone working in pay, reward, and benefits has become more significant. Their role has become more important to the employee experience than ever and more important to the organization. And that's all because we can now prove through this research and the other bits of research that accompany this one that the work that payroll does improves employee well-being, which obviously yeah. the knock-on effect of that is that improves lives. So you can actually draw some lines from somebody getting paid accurately on time, having a better relationship with their kids at home. So you can pull the evidence together to actually start to see how actually payroll drives positive societal change, which I think is really fascinating. But I think for the teams to really kind of get to grips with that and understand their role in this new world, if you like, you know, pay has to be accurate and on time. So it's, it's a fundamental at the moment, as we've talked about, 
um, people just do not have any breathing space for, for mistakes to be made. You know, a couple of hours delay in paying somebody, a couple of hundred pounds underpayment, that stuff is having a significantly magnified effect. So paying people accurately on time, regardless of what piece of software you're using or if this is all still manual, that's the kind of stuff that requires a bit of double checking and a second pair of eyes at the moment. The other thing is kind of accessibility. I think our research also highlighted the importance of that and the ease of use when it comes to pay slips. So we found 20% of employees said that difficulties logging into the portal, I think you mentioned this earlier on, or platform and having to remember multiple passwords, yeah. that was acting as a barrier. So for a fifth of your people, your logging in process is just so complicated, people aren't checking their pay slips. So that's a fifth of people that might not be checking it just because they need a separate password or there's no single sign-on or it's too difficult to use. We know that financial well-being generally in the report, again, highlights these bits that uncertainty and anxiety and low confidence are key barriers to getting people to engage in pay slips. So what can be done outside of payroll and pay slips to communicate to people about pay? So how can we start to educate people about pay? How do we create the environment where we encourage people to go and look at their pay slips and tell them, look, most people don't check it, but we think you should check it regularly. And these are the reasons why. When we've done, within the Zetas group, when we've done that for things like credit rating, we've boosted the amount of people who went and got their credit score just by explaining to them, look, this is a little thing we think you should do. This is how you do it really easily. Can you just go and do that? And we've had some employers that encourage people to do that during the working day. So they basically said, look, this takes 10 minutes, but we think it's important to take 10 minutes out of the time we pay you to just go and check this thing. And so when those communications go through, they're not just your new pay slips available, log onto the portal. We're actually using more encouraging words to say, you know, it's important at the moment to make sure you're not underpaid. Can you just go and please check? And using that kind of more um, empathetic language to get people to engage. About a third of people told us they didn't know what they should be checking, even when they review their pay slips. Um, they didn't have the knowledge or confidence to see if that correction was, uh, information was correct or not. So again, what can employers do to encourage people to say, look, these are the figures we want you to check. So if this is a deduction, make sure that's right. And you know, if this deduction is X times salary, do the calculation, divide that figure by 12, just make sure it's correct. And I think those little things that people can be doing, whatever your 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 payroll looks like, if it's online, offline, if you're with the best provider in the market, yeah. you know, whatever it looks like, they're these little things that you can do to encourage people just to engage more uh, in their pay. But fundamentally, I think that the precursor to all of this is people aren't going to engage in something they don't, they don't understand. So if we can get them to understand a little bit better, we will get that engagement uh, and build those regular habits where, you know, I would just love everyone just to, you know, for five minutes, log in, check their pay slip on payday, just take a glance through it, know what they're looking for. And it's really low commitment. But if you spot a mistake, it's really high impact. Same as credit rating. Credit rating is a really similar example that we can use. If you logged into your credit, if you'd never had problem getting credit and all this kind of stuff, and then you logged in and it said you stood up this outstanding account from when you're a teenager that you thought was closed, by closing that, your chance of getting a better rate the next time you apply for any kind of lending is increased. And so although it might not have been actively harming somebody, it probably was holding them back. And so again, can we get people to just notice some of those small mistakes? And so sure. building that confidence can be done away from pay slips and away from payroll. That's a communication exercise more than anything. I think also it's a it's a proactive approach for payroll people, right? So if someone if I was to identify a mistake and highlight it, you know, by the payroll manager the, the, the other end of that, maybe frustrated there's an error there, assuming there is a, a genuine mistake in that payslip. But actually, you it's an opportunity then to make sure that you haven't replicated this error across potentially yeah. thousands of employees and getting ahead of any potential storm that might come, you know, come back. You know, we, we always say that silence is golden in payroll. No, you know, you don't want any complaints. They only phone you if there's something wrong. But actually what you've talked about today and articulated very well is we can build a really good trusting relationship with our employees as payroll. This really builds into the strategic direction that payroll is taking. So people should be listening to this, in my opinion, if you're working in payroll and we're getting being really excited about identifying where the relationship is now between yeah. the payroll experience and the employee engagement experience and how you can directly impact financial wealth, reduce stress, mindfulness, which is ultimately stress management in a different way. So I think there's loads of um, strategic insights you've given today, uh, Gethin, very articulately that I think can really shows and highlights the importance payroll has in the, uh, in, yeah. in the in an organizational structure. And one final point, if I may, I think you know, we, we are now, when we talk about payroll in modern terms, we're talking about technology. And technology loves feedback. People love, they want user feedback. And they make, you know, social media giants, you know, anyone who's building apps, they want user feedback. Yeah. It's so valuable with how they get better. 
So feedback is not seen as negative in the tech world. People love feedback. We love market research. We want people to tell us what they like, what they don't like. We love it when we think a platform is great and we've built an app and we've done that. And we do this in the Zealous group. We build an app, we roll it out, we think this is great. We ask people for feedback and they say, I hate the color of that button. And even something as simple as that, we're, we're trying to remove points of friction. So if you look at how Amazon, you can go on and kind of click one time and that's it. The thing will be arrived tomorrow. The way that's been designed is I will get you to engage more and buy more from Amazon if I remove points of friction. So when you search for something, you will find what you're looking for, even if you spell that word incorrectly. When you want to buy something, you don't have to add your address again. You don't have to choose which credit card you want to use. You don't have to add a new card. You just click one time. And if you look at all the evidence about things like online shopping and apps and where they remove those points of friction, engagement rates go through the roof. But that requires the users to tell us what are they frustrated with, what don't they like. And so I would say this this new world of payroll is, well, yeah, what exactly you said? I want that feedback. I want somebody to tell me, yeah, it's too difficult to log into. Or I don't understand that number. Or why does that look like that? Because most of us live in this bubble of payroll where we don't notice those things that, you know, if you put a, a human that had never been paid in front of our payroll systems, would they actually understand it? And I think that feedback's so valuable because every time you act on it, you're creating a better experience for the next person that comes yeah. along. And so I think that that feedback is is really important. Well, I totally agree. Actually, you've also described what ultimately is going to be the most powerful AI platforms out there are going to be those that learn the best, right? That's the most intelligent AI is the exactly. AI that learns. And I think it's exactly the same for people. And um, I don't want to lose the opportunity as well. And we've done a whole show on this and I'll put a link in the show notes to the HR podcast that we also recorded. But you have also released a brilliant new book called A Work in Progress, Unlocking Wellbeing to Create More Sustainable and Resilient Organizations. Now, I want to bring this to light because... We know that reward and well-being, we've discussed it today, are responsibilities that certainly in my world of payroll recruitment, we're seeing merge and immerse themselves more and more and more into the day-to-day responsibilities of what I would call the modern payroll manager, right? So it's not just about paying people anymore. It's, it, it's much more holistic than that. So I wondered if you could um, get and just tell us a little bit more about the book and how it might actually help the modern payroll professional, because... We need to be resilient. We need to be more sustainable. You've got, I mean, it's a fantastic book. I've read it. It was on my shelf here. Gethin very kindly sent me a copy a few months ago. Um, so I do recommend it. But the reason I'm highlighting it is I actually think it has a, a really, it could have a really powerful role to play in, in for payroll professionals as well. And I'd advise that payroll people listening to this do, do read it if they can. But if you can tell us a bit, that'd be great. Yeah, so the, so the book's based on 600 different bits of research. So I've probably read 1,000 or more to, to get to that 600. Um, it's based on about 150 hours worth of consultancy with um, more than 100 employers around the world about well-being. And if you look at all the evidence about what well-being at work is, it's far less about the things you can go out and buy and more to do with the things you do as an employer and the decisions you make. And it is far, far more in the micro decisions you make than it is the big stuff. So when we think about well-being at work, we think about downloading mindfulness apps and having awareness days and mental health days and having an Olympian come to your workplace to talk to you about resilience Mm -hmm. or burnout and all this kind of stuff. But actually the data is telling us all the time. It's little things and little things like, you know, am I getting recognized for a job well done? Do I have purpose at work? The benefits I get and the remuneration I get. And it's basically this, how is the organization and the decisions it makes delivering this, we care about you message that people really want for work. And we've touched upon it today. When you pay somebody late or inaccurately, you are delivering a I didn't think about you message. And even though those things happen and they're unavoidable, even with the best technology in the world, sometimes those mistakes happen. We can recover from those with the way that we handle those mistakes. But what happens with employees is if I didn't get paid next month, that would really affect me. And it would make me think I just hadn't been thought about, even though I'm fully aware that it's technology and stuff happens and the, 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 the error would be corrected really, really quickly it doesn't leave me this really positive feeling that I felt like somebody took care of me. And so the book really focused on, as an organization, structurally, how do you change to deliver better well-being? Because that's a bigger impact. And you're absolutely right, pay will pay a part of that. And there was a whole chapter on pay and um, and pay slips as part of that. And some of this research I quoted in the book, which is about, you know, we've got to pay people a fair wage. We've got to pay them accurately. We've got to pay them on time. Even though we have all these processes that say, if you do spot an error, come and tell us and we'll fix it. We don't want them to spot an error. We don't want there to be an error, really. We want people to kind of get paid and fundamentally, that's why they turned up in the first place. But it's all bored into, actually, if you think about the aggregation of marginal gains, our experience at work 
isn't really knocked off that much by one or two big things that happen to us, positive or negative. It's a combination of lots of small things that happen that start to snowball. So the day that you have an argument with your manager, the day next day you don't feel supported, the third day you don't feel recognized, at the end of that week, if somebody pays you incorrectly, that might be the icing on the cake for somebody that says, you know what, this is all just mounted up to nobody cares about me, yet most of that stuff was probably really unavoidable. Or if, or if broken could be fixed or never could be changed and apologised for really, really quickly. But we don't think about well-being in that way. We think about well-being as this stuff we can go out and buy and what appears yeah. all these well-being conferences. And, and I think that's what's really powerful for people working in payroll is actually we can start to draw those lines between if you do your job correctly and you do your job well, the impact on your people can be really, really significant. And so, you know, I would say that whether somebody thinks they're in well-being or not, if they just have responsibility over managing people or managing a function, there's probably something in this book that will show how we can all just put our arms around well-being and deliver it. It's not just HR's job to do. You know, payroll's got a function, but also team managers, communications, everything. It's kind of, the, yeah, those micro things that we do build up to a really positive experience. And so we want to make as many of those little experiences as positive as possible yeah absolutely well so i will put a link to that uh, excellent book in there in the show notes as well it's available now uh, but also just to mention from my side of the fence you know i work in the world of recruitment and i now can see more than ever the role that payroll has to play on the uh, in terms of contributing to the, the the retention and attraction of talent you know if you if you get it wrong and you, and people don't trust you then people will start to leave and they'll look for alternative employment there's opportunities out there so um i think more now more than ever in a really positive way a real strategic way for payroll professionals now we've now got a bigger involvement we're now involved in well-being engagement and that that opens a number of opportunities for payroll people so thank you so much for bringing the research to life today get thank you for talking us a little bit about thank your you. book entering the vault very quickly, I'm going to open the payroll vault. I think people are going to be interested to find out your perspective on these things, coming as a chief innovation officer as you are at Zealous. So first question is this, one piece of advice you would give to someone working in payroll right now? I mean, it's purpose. I think there's this the stuff I've talked about today. I think we, we're able to give people working in payroll a new purpose. So, you know, moving from this back-end admin function to something that's far more engaged into the employee experience. We've got customers at Zealous that are doing some really interesting things through pay. So through payroll, they're making decisions over earned wage access. And so allowing people to, again, their financial well-being to be protected or enhanced through decisions that are being made by payroll teams, not necessarily benefit teams, which is what used to happen. And so with those kind of things happening, if you can start to see the impact on people, I think that adds a lot of purpose to the payroll function and the individuals working with it. And purpose is really important to our own well-being. Um, but I think it's a really powerful driver employee experience. So I think anyone working in payroll who starts to understand more that there's a human at the end that I can have a positive impact, that is a really, really good place to be. And I think it makes payroll far more exciting than it used to be when, when I first joined the, the workforce. Yeah, fantastic. Now, question number two, if you had the power of foresight that could change the entire payroll industry with one action or improvement, what would that action or improvement be? It's linked into the research, but I genuinely think even if we hadn't done this research, it would be understanding. You know, I've done a lot around financial well-being and um, there's a lot about control and confidence. So when we talk about financial well-being, if you can get people to feel more in control of their finances and have more confidence dealing with their finances, better results will come, regardless of how much somebody earns or what their socioeconomic position is. And I think it's the same with pay. If we look at pay as a an offshoot of, of, of finances and just one of the many different financial decisions and concepts we need to get our heads around, if you think about control and confidence, how do I give more control and confidence to somebody when it comes to their pay? It's going to be that if I put a pay slip in front of them, they see a tax code and they know it's right and they know what a tax code is and they see those deductions and that they're all correct. And again, it's not loads of complex information we're trying to get them to understand. It's just stuff that nobody gets taught anywhere else. And so I think the more we could do that, um, you know, I think anything I've ever learned about pay before um, being part of the Zellis group was was me Googling stuff. And it's just not a good way to get information. And, and Google is now a very big place with a lot of misinformation yeah. and fake news and stuff. And so, you know, my, my employer is the one I trust to tell me this information. And so I think I'd love to see more employers have done that many, many years ago, certainly when I grew up. I know. So certainly in my case, I'm sure most people are going to put it out there probably done this. If you try and be Google doctor, 
right? As a good example. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah we yeah. we always look at the worst possible outcome, and actually, it's very rarely is when you go and see the expert, which will be our GP. We'll hopefully put us in mind when there's something wrong going there. So it's a really good example. Uh, last but not least, bit of fun. If Peril were a song or a movie, what song or movie would it be, and why? Uh, this is the first song that came to my my head, but it's going to sound really cringe. But I'll say it anyway because I can't think of another one. Uh, things can only get better. Hey. Um, Great. It sounds a little, it sounds a little bit like a, a political campaign, but I, I genuinely believe it. You know, all the work I've been doing with the Zealous Group and uh, the thought leadership that I've been driving, I genuinely believe that payroll is on this tipping point of becoming far, far more interesting to the business and far, far more interesting to the employee. I think the way we pay people in the future is going to change quite significantly. I think we will we will start to see pay becoming more important to employees. You know, not just getting pay but how pays function yeah. what things come out of pay deductions that are made um you know i've worked in the benefits world for a long time it's some of the similarities we saw in the trajectory of the benefits world we're seeing in pay and so i think for those people that really want to grasp it and when i talked about this at the, the recent zadis conference lots of payroll people came up to me afterwards and said that they were excited but they were also scared about what this future might look like because it's a big change from people who work in a back office to something that might be a bit more employee facing uh, but for those people that want to grab that, I think it's exciting. And, and most things that are exciting are also a bit scary as well. So um, I, I do think for those who want to embrace it, it will get much, much better and you'll become much more important to your organization. And that's that's sure. better for, for each individual in their careers as well as the organization. Couldn't agree more. I think it's a hugely exciting time for the world of payroll. Fear, of course, exists only in the mind. So let's, uh, let's embrace yeah. it. Let's, uh, let's be more strategic. Let's uh, really get involved in uh, improving that employee experience for everybody in there. Huge thank you, Gethin uh, Nadin, for joining me today on the Payroll Podcast. Thank of you. course, I will be a link in the show notes both to that uh, fantastic report uh, uh, commissioned by Zealous, as well as a link to Gethin's book, a link to LinkedIn profiles and, and, and more. So do check out the show notes if you want to find out more about anything we've discussed in today's show. And of course, if you are a payroll professional listening to this show and you're a leader and you need some support with a, a recruitment a requirement within the world of payroll, then please do get in touch with either myself or any of my wonderful team here at JGA Recruitment. You can get us at jgarecruitment.com. There'll also be an email in the show notes where you can come and tap me directly if you need to. Just leave and say a huge thank you once more to Gethin. Thank you to you for listening. Uh, and I look thank forward you. to doing the next episode real soon. Thanks, Gethin. Thanks very much. Thank you so much for tuning into the Payroll Podcast with Nick Day of JGA Recruitment. If you need help with a current payroll vacancy, then please get in touch with Nick and his team. All contact details can be found in the episode notes. In the meantime, to make sure you never miss a future episode, please subscribe to the show through any of your favorite podcast channels. Till next time.